you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Please add a blessing to the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's a uh, pleasure to be able to come and preach in a morning service. Um, typically, I'm Sunday nights, but I love being able to come here for Sunday morning. And, uh, and one of the things I want to do is just, if you're a board member, if you're on a board, would you raise your hand? Okay, there's a couple. Would you raise your other hand and then cover your ears because I'm about to tell a story that might get me fired. I'm kidding. It won't get me fired. A few years ago, as I, uh, as I started in youth ministry here at the church, it was in 2003. We had a skate park right out where the playground is, and um, we did this deal where the kids came and skated at 3 p.m., but they were here all day long, from 3 till about 7 or 8 o'clock at night, and we'd have the youth room open. We played some video games. We'd hang out with them, stuff like that, and um, Wednesday nights were particularly interesting because they love to skate these little stairs right by the church, right, right out the front door. And uh, we always had to tell them to stop. We have a skate park. Not only is it, I mean, they, they were like, wait a minute, you're inviting us on your property, but you're telling us to stop skating right here. And we were like, yes, you have to stop skating there, especially on Wednesday nights. There were little kids walking by. Um, there were some uh, more mature folks walking up to, uh, to Pastor Gordon's office for a Bible study or, or for another Bible study that was around. And they had to use those stairs, and it was a little bit difficult with these kids coming through on skateboards, jumping off them, skateboards flying everywhere and stuff like that. And so we had to ask them to stop. And this one day, this one particular kid, I, I still remember him. He used to live right down the street, and, and um, I won't say his name, but uh, he, he's since moved up to Hesperia. Um, but I've had to ask him five or six times this day, and finally I said, if you do this one more time, I'm going to take your skateboard. And so he's sort of testing me, and he's kind of looking at me, and he waits for me to walk around the corner. But I kind of walk around the corner, and then I stop, and I just sort of wait for him to go down the stairs. And he goes down the stairs. I walk over, and I grab his board. Well, this guy got so irate that he jumped on my back. And, and I was like, you know, kind of fighting him off. He was on my back like this. And then he bit me on my shoulder. And as he bit me, this is the part where some of you might want to cover your ears, I yell, son of a... You fill in the blank. And I, I, I yell that nice and loud. And, and it was one of these moments where there were parents standing there. There was like little kids. And they were all just like, their jaws were dropped. They're like, what did Pastor Dave just say? You know, and, and I'm like, I, I just yelled it. And like, it was, it was one of those like perfect moments where it was like our youth group was all lined up. I mean, you can almost picture it. They're all standing there and they're like, what? And, and, and I... The kid just bit me, and I thought I was, like, justified for saying this, you know? And um, I didn't expect him to bite me. It was, it was kind of okay that he jumped on my back. I didn't like that either, but he, he bit me. And um, a few weeks later, I'm driving another one of our students, uh, who actually still attends here, and we're driving up to the church, and I picked him up from school, and uh, we're, we're coming in on a Wednesday night, and he goes, hey, Dave. This whole Christian thing is like I could tell that you read the Bible and that you, you teach us a lot of stuff about the Bible, but this whole Christian thing is just kind of a front for you, right? <laughs> and, and I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, I heard what you said to this other guy, 
the other day, I, I heard what just in that moment of like, he jumped on your back, he bit you, I heard what came out of your mouth. And so it's kind of just a front for you, right? This is just kind of like fake. And, and I just went, wow. I mean, I, I just saw in that moment, I mean, and all of us have these moments where we just slip up, right? And, and you don't mean to, and it's in front of people, it's public. And all of us have those moments where we're repentant and we're sorry afterwards that we did it. But all of us have some of those moments, some of us uh, fewer than others. Um, but he, he said this to me, and it was just this observation that he had. If you are saying that, if you're calling this person names, and, and you're supposed to be a, a pastor at this church, doesn't that kind of make you a faker? And I just went, Wow. Wow, like what they see. And, and so I kind of had to, to tell them, you know, I'm, I'm human. I make, this, I make mistakes. And, and um, yeah, I apologize. I'm really sorry that, that you think that. And that's not at all. But, but it kind of made me reevaluate everything I say and do in public because people are watching. And if you're a Christian here today, if you said, yes, Jesus is the Lord of my life, then people are watching you to see how you respond, to see how you act, and to see... Um, what life is like for you, to see the words that you say, to hear the words that you say. So a few weeks ago, I was privileged to be part of a larger conversation of young adult leaders um, with our denomination. I went back to Indiana, and we had a conversation about what is young adult ministry looking like, um, what's ministry looking like in general. And we came to one major conclusion, and it's the reason why I tell you this story this morning, that the church is almost hindering its own evangelistic efforts. And that no longer do we um, like have a set of beliefs and then live them out. Now, some people really do. I mean, if you look over in, um, in, in Alabama, and if you look over in the whole area of destruction, absolutely, the church is the first responders. When I went back to Hurricane Katrina, the churches were the ones feeding everybody before the government got there. The churches were the ones housing and clothing people and doing the work of God before anybody else got there. But in our day-to-day life, we kind of came to this conclusion where everybody was saying, yeah, people are really saying, I believe this, but living an opposite way. And so I figured it's a good thing to address. And and I found this quote by C.S. Lewis, and I uh, wanted to put it up. It's in the Screwtape Letters. And I realize it's a little smaller, and I'm going to read it to you. In the Screwtape Letters, there was a book written in 1942. And if you're unfamiliar with it, C.S. Lewis was this great, imaginative, and creative writer. And he took uh, these two uh, demons, and he wrote, had them write letters back and forth to each other, and that's what the book was made up of. And it was a fictitious book, but it was his commentary on what was happening with the church. And in this fictitious letter, these two characters were, were sort of um, haunting or, or going after this one man, this Christian man. And, and this is one of, uh, an excerpt of one of the letters. A few centuries earlier, humans still knew pretty well when a thing was proved and when it was not. If it was not proved, they really, or if it was proved, they really believed it. They still connected thinking with doing and were prepared to alter their way of life as a result of a chain of reasoning. But with the weekly press and other such weapons, we have largely altered that. Your man has been accustomed ever since he was a boy to having a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together inside his head. He doesn't think of doctrines as primarily true or false, but as academic or practical, outworn or contemporary, conventional 
or ruthless. Jargon, not argument, is your best ally in keeping him from the church. It's interesting that in 1942, C.S. Lewis um, would have the, the wherewithal, and we thought, when we were sitting there talking amongst these young leaders, uh, we thought, man, this is just a problem that we have today. Uh, our young adults and young leaders, but for, for years, for decades, this has been going on, where there's dozens of philosophies out there, and, and we might have a chain of reasoning, and we really believe something, we really connect with it, but we don't necessarily take that extra step to live it out, because that's the step of faith, to live it out. It's, it's a little bit of a leap sometimes to believe it, but this real step of faith is to say, I'm going to alter my way of life because of it. And sometimes, as Christians live their life out, um, sometimes we have a tendency to rebuke it. Look at Mary. A few weeks ago, Pastor Gordon talked about this amazing sacrifice of breaking this nard over Jesus to prepare him for his burial, this spontaneous act of worship. And what happened? She was rebuked by Judas, right? hey, you can sell that and give that to the poor. Um, look at that. Sometimes we, we're walking down the street and you hand somebody a, a little bit of, of cash and maybe you're rebuked by your Christian friend. Well, why did you do that? They're just going to go spend it on drugs or alcohol. Um, a, a Easter Sunday morning, many of you probably don't know this, um, there was a, I, we pulled up here at the church, I pulled up here at 5.30 in the morning to take a, group of students hiking, we always go hiking up to the A, um, or the, right next to the A, there's a big cross up on the, basically walk out the door and look up, that's where we went, um, and we do a little Easter sunrise service up there, and as we pulled up to the church, there was um, a homeless couple, a husband and wife sleeping at the front doorsteps, and, um, and when I walked up to them, I had a little bit of food and water in my car, and I walked up to them, they said, okay, we're leaving, we're, I'm sorry, we're leaving. And before I could even get a word out, they said, we're leaving. And I said, no, I, I'm actually coming to bring you something. And it's not that this church has rejected them in any past times. It's not that anybody's walked up to them and said, you can't sleep here or anything like that. It's just that they have had an experience before of being kicked out. And so our, our beliefs no longer translate into actions. And that's true for some of us. That's not true for all of us. Um, one of the things I want to do is flip to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to dig through a couple different stories. Jesus was asked this question. And, and Jesus uh, talked about this, translating what you think into what you do. Jesus talked about this quite extensively, actually. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, um, it says this. And it's on the screen, too, if you don't have your Bible with you. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus, Jesus replied, he replied. How do you read it? I love that Jesus always takes his questions and he flips it back on other people to say, well, what do you think? And this guy said, he, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. The man already, he's a teacher of the law, he's a lawyer, he already believed it, he already knew it, he had been growing up this way. 
So when Jesus returned the question back onto him, and he said, well, how do you read the law? How do you read the scriptures? The man said, love God and love people, and that, that should be it, right? And, and the hardest part was Jesus said, yes, that's, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you, you shall live. He didn't say, think this. He didn't say, believe it. He just said, do it, and you will live. Let's flip to James chapter 2. This is our, our theme verse this morning. James chapter 2, verses uh, 14 through 17. James is the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. And I love, when you read the book of James, if you read it through that lens of, of first, like if you had a brother and he claimed to be Jesus or he claimed to be God, and you're like, nah, that guy's not God. You know, and then he dies and resurrects, and you're like, all of a sudden, wow, this really was God. And then he writes this amazing book, and there's this sense of urgency, just writes it all out in James, and, and it's nice and quick and, uh, in, his, in, um, in his epistle. Uh, chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, is, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. One of the things I think through as I read this scripture is the mission statement of this church. It's a mission vision statement, and in that mission vision statement, if you have your bulletin, it should be right on the front. Um, if it's not, it's in there somewhere. It's that we are going to meet the physical, educational, and spiritual needs of this community. And the physical needs, that idea comes right out of this passage. If you do nothing to keep this man physically healthy, if you do nothing, if you just ignore it, if you wish him well, that's nice. But what are words if it's not translated into action? And that's what James is saying. What good is it if you have all this faith, if you believe it so deeply, but do nothing to live it out? I have a feeling this isn't just a problem of the, the 21st century church. It wasn't just a problem of the 20th century church, but it seems like this is a problem of the first century church as well. This has always been an issue. And like I said, there's some of you here who need to be training others on how to live it out. You live missional lives. You, you are in your workplace. You are in your families. And you are, are just showing off the gospel in every move that you make. And we want to learn from you. So there's some of you here that are doing that amazingly well. What I don't want to do today is say that, that um, we don't need to learn anything. Because that's not true. Look at the disciples. They spent three years with Jesus. Paul, when he was knocked off his donkey, I mean, this guy was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the scriptures, but went to the desert for three years to be trained by the apostles in all the scriptures and the meanings of Jesus and stuff like that. Hosea 4.6a says, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. So there is this element where knowledge really does increase our faith, and there is this element of daily Bible studies. Absolutely. We need to keep up with that. Because knowledge increases faith, and, and where knowledge increases our faith, then it'll increase our actions as well. It requires you to go to church, to get in the community, to go to Sunday school, to go to life groups, to have accountability. Absolutely, we need all of that part of our faith, but there's a second element of our faith that is difficult, and that's the living it out part. That's the go and do part. That's the part where Jesus said, do this and you shall live. 
So back to screw tape for a second. The screw tape letters remind us of this truth that for the last 50 years or so, we've lived in this post-Christian society. So many of us know good theology. So many of us have been raised in the tradition of doing the right thing. But in this story, there's such a, a basic element missing is that we, we don't act on the belief. And, and this may not be true of our church, and it might be true of our church, but it's true of the larger body of churches. Listen to what Gandhi said. Gandhi said this, I like your Christ, but your Christians look nothing like him. Wow, that's a scathing comment. An, um, an Indian Hindu scholar said this, if the Christians would just act like Jesus did, they would have India at their feet. Wow. A, a, a reminder that we need to live out Christ-likeness. But we're, we live in a world where we're bombarded with dozens of incompatible philosophies. I mean, that's what C.S. Lewis said, and I, I love that, that he said, we, we've been bombarded with so many incompatible and inconsistent philosophies that we try and live out what we believe, and we don't actually know because there's all these different philosophies dancing and floating around. I threw a few of them up. Karma, Jesus, liberalism, good deeds, nihilism, the belief in nothing, socialism, capitalism, environmentalism, moral relativism, conservatism, Allah, Zen, self-help, if it feels good, do it, the American dream. All of these are philosophies. And all of these philosophies we, we like to pick and choose from sometimes. Oh, that's just karma. Really? You believe in reincarnation? I'm kidding. Um, anyways, there's all these different philosophies that float around. And if we're not stuck on the, on the true word of God and really digging through what that is and really informing our faith, then it's going to become very difficult to live it out. So let's go with the rest of this parable. Um, it's going to be in Luke chapter 10, and this is going to be verses 29 through 37. We're going to dig through the rest of this parable a little bit. And many of you have heard this parable. It's a parable of a good Samaritan. So Luke chapter 10, verse 29. And this is the religious scholar, the, the lawyer. He says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Go and do likewise, is what Jesus responded. So let's break this story down a little bit. So there's a man, and these are 
parables. Jesus told stories to help us understand. Oh, excuse me. Jesus told stories to help us understand um, the way we ought to live out his teachings. And he told the story of a man who was going down from Jerusalem. And when we talk about going down from Jerusalem, any time the scripture talks about Jerusalem, any roads going from it, even if you were going up a hill, you were going down from Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was the most holy place. And so this man was coming down from Jerusalem, and a priest happened to come along this man. Now, a priest coming down from Jerusalem, we could more than likely say that this man, this priest, um, was probably in charge of a synagogue somewhere else and was probably going to the temple to become pure, to give his offerings, to give his sacrifice, and so that he can go back to his community pure and present the word of God and present sacrifices and things like that. And so he passes by the other side of the road because he, he comes to this logical conclusion that if this guy's dead, then if I touched him, if even there's a, this belief um, in the Talmud that if my shadow cast, I can't see my shadow, there it is, if my shadow even cast on him, then I will be unclean. So he tiptoes around the other side of this road to be careful not to let his shadow to even touch the man. Because how much would that throw off his day, right? If he stopped and gave mercy, how much would that throw it off? He, he'd have to go all the way back up. He'd have to get another dove, some more grain, and he'd have to go offer his sacrifices all over again. That would really throw him off, right? And so he tiptoes around. And he goes, well, maybe he's just dead and somebody else will take care of him. And he, he passes by, and then a Levite comes. And the Levite's kind of the, the same crowd. Uh, you've heard of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. Is, there's this people group, there's this tribe in Israel called the Levites. And out of that tribe, God set them apart to be holy. He set apart the whole nation of Israel to be holy. But in particular, this tribe was to take care of all the the religious issues that happened in the day. If if there was temple um, sheep that needed to be taken care of, if there was uh, priests, they they would come from the Levites. And and the Levites were really this this, uh, priesthood of people, a people with a calling, a people uh, where, where God... Um, literally set this group out of his other group that he set apart, this little particular people, and said, you are to do this. You are in charge. You're the priest. You're the, the people who appoint others to me. And the Levite, knowing his calling, sees the man and has the same issue. Well, if I were to touch him, I'd be unclean again, because if you touch a corpse, you're unclean for seven days. And, and that really, like being outside the community, all the bathing, would really be inconvenient. And so he walks around the other side. But finally, the scriptures say a Samaritan who is despised, and we know this, he was a Jew half-breed, an intermarried uh, guy. People would call him a dog, and not like the Randy Jackson, like, hey, what up, dog? Not that dog. Like, dogs were, like, bad in those days, and that the dogs that they were talking about were were in the the junkyard or in the, uh, the trash heaps. And, and they would uh, run in packs, and they would attack and kill people. They were known for attacking children. And so when you called somebody a dog, that was not cool. And, and they called them dogs, and they, people who did not um, deserve attention from Jews. They were an enemy. Like I said, they kind of believed in Judaism, but they also had some other um, ritualistic beliefs. But this Samaritan, who was not a Jew, this would have been very offensive, by the way, for Jesus telling this story, comes across the man and has mercy on him, 
takes out some cash and gives it to him. Well, he puts him on his own donkey, takes out, uh, spends the night with him, taking care of him, bandaging his wounds. Takes a whole bunch of time out of his day. Following Jesus is inconvenient, folks. It just is. There's going to be times where that happens, and you, you know that you've got to be somewhere, but you see a need. Oh, and you've just got to fill it. Because God is calling you to be like this Samaritan man. It's inconvenient. It really, really is. Um, and so he takes this man, he throws him on his donkey, he takes him to an inn, and, and he stays the night with him, and he actually hands him a couple silver coins and says, take care of him, and I'll even reimburse you if there's extra expenses. This man really lived out what he believed. He really lived it out. The critique of the religious elite had always been, I mean, Jesus' critique would always been, you look good in front of people. You do a lot of things to make yourself, you wash the outside of the cup, but the inside is rotted. You, you strain the, the tea and take the gnat out, but you'll drink down the camel. And what he's saying is you'll, you remove the smallest things that are unclean, like a gnat, but the camel, you'll drink that down, which was obviously a joke because you can't drink a camel, um, unless you cut it open and get the water storage, but that's something Bear girls would do. I would not do that. Um, and so anyways, Jesus, his critique had always been, you try and look good in front of people, but you don't live it out. There's this, um, well, actually, before we go there, Jesus ended with saying, go and do likewise. He's talking to a religious scholar, a religious uh, elite in this community, and he says, go and do like your enemy. Go live like the Samaritan. And do you know how offensive that would be? A few years back, um, well, actually, when I was in high school, uh, we went and served with an organization. My, my youth pastor took us up to serve with an organization in... Um, in, in uh, San Francisco, and we gave meals to people who were on their deathbeds. We had to walk up through some awful-looking places, and we had to hand these hot meals to people who, who had AIDS and were dying. And when we left that, I, I asked them, I was like, man, what a cool organization. They do this day in and day out. What a cool organization. What is that called? And he said, oh, that's called Project Open Hate. I was like, cool, okay. And he goes, yeah, they are um, an openly gay and lesbian organization here in San Francisco but they do the most good. There's, there's churches that are trying, but these guys have been able to, to, to mobilize the church to do this. And I imagine how unpalatable it would be in some circles to say, go and be like that organization. Go and do what they do. Go feed the dying. And I'm not trying to say that anything's okay, that that lifestyle is okay. I'm not trying to make that critique at all. My, my point simply is that there are other people living the gospel out who don't believe in our Jesus. And we need to be the ones leaving it out, giving people the cup of cold water in, in a time where it's hot, giving people that cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, doing the most good in the name of our God. So Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go be like this despised Samaritan would have been a huge insult. And that's one of the reasons why I love reading the Gospels. And I love the historical nature of them because Jesus is really insulting and we have a hard time seeing that with um, 21st century eyes. But this was a huge, massive insult. Go be like the Samaritan. There's this famous Irish preacher 
who spoke for five hours at a college and in their chapel. And when you're real famous as a preacher, you could speak for five hours and people will come listen to you. Um, when, you're like, uh, when you're like me, you could probably speak for 20 minutes and people are like getting up and going to the bathroom and stuff like that. Uh, you got other things going on. But he spoke for five hours and then he took questions. He's written a few books. And the questions were, you've spoken a lot about Jesus. You've spoken a lot about the Gospels, but you didn't touch at all on the resurrection. Do you believe or do you deny the resurrection? And he came at them and he, he thought about this for a second. And he thought, this is a tricky question. Of course he doesn't deny the resurrection. But he said, yes, I do deny the resurrection. Absolutely, I've made it no secret. I deny the resurrection whenever I pass by a hungry man without giving him something to eat. I deny the resurrection whenever I fail to weep for someone who's in mourning. I deny the resurrection every time I fail to love my enemies. I deny the resurrection every time I fail to love my neighbor. But I affirm, I also affirm the resurrection every time I freed the hungry. I affirm the resurrection whenever I weep for someone who has no more tears to weep. I affirm the resurrection whenever I cry out for those who've had their tongues cut out. I affirm the resurrection every time I stand up for someone who can't get up. He was saying that he affirms that, Je that Jesus is who he says he is. He affirms his own faith whenever he goes out and, and does the gospel. Whenever he goes out and lives the gospel out. Whenever he actually loves his neighbor. He's saying, that is when I'm affirming that Jesus is who he says he is. Because as we know from last week, from Easter week, that without the resurrection, we wouldn't all be here, right? We might be good people, or, but we, and we might look at this philosopher Jesus, but we wouldn't look at him as God without the resurrection. And so whenever we go out, whenever we love people, whenever we love our neighbors, whenever we cry out for those who can't cry out, we're affirming the resurrection. We're going and we're doing the gospel. So today I want to end this message kind of abruptly because that's the way Jesus ended his parables. He tells this long story and then he simply says, go and do. So the way I want to end this message today is simply to tell you, go and do. In fact, I want you to repeat that with me. Go and do. Go and do. Go and do. If you've got nothing you got nothing else from this message. Get that. Go and do. Let's pray. Father, as we begin to think about your love for us, God, how deep your love is for us, that you would bear the cross. Father, that you would stand up and that you would take on our sins. You would take on the wrath of, of God and that you would take our punishment because you love us. God, how could we not? How could we not go and show that out to others? Father, this morning as we begin to prepare for communion, as we begin to think through all this, Lord, help us to, uh, to really remember your, what you told this man, this, this teacher of the law, that we are to go and that we are to do. In your name we pray. Amen.